Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1302, entitled 2020. Well, could be worse. (laughs) Could it? I mean, I guess it could, as we'll see from today's show what we're covering. Yeah. Our podcast title is Apodolips How Redux. Now, I, have actually, I haven't used that title before, but in case I have, that's why I stuck the Redux on it. Nice. <laughs> I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are doing something that's probably a bit silly, but I think that's one of our um, uh, prerequisites or, or at least a, a KPI or something like that. Exactly. We were talking the other week on Zero G about a study that had been done that showed that horror buffs are generally better psychologically prepared for bad times. Now, you'd think only a fool would lean into that in the midst of a pandemic economic shutdown of this magnitude, Mm -hmm. and you would be right. (laughs) Welp. (laughs) Now, we're going to talk about free uh, apocalyptic television series today, although None of the free today contain plagues. So there's that. (laughs) You might want to look away in case there's a a trigger effect, just riffing off the title of an apocalyptic movie. And we, well, the rest of you just strap in. It's going to be a bumpy ride. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So so what are we looking at? We've got um, Into the Night a Belgian science fiction series, and we also have the latest iteration of War of the Worlds. We gave the uh, the previous, the most recent one, the ITV one, a real shellacking when it came out. And uh, Japan and Japan sinks twenty twenty. So nothing at all to do with plagues. No, and all and look, we're being a bit international about things as well. <laughs> Ain't we sweet? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say the mood, I mean, I think it's it's that leaning into it. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely in some kind of mood after watching some Japan sinks, I've got to say, and I'm very intrigued about the, the War of the Worlds adaptation. But, you know, we've got to do our due diligence and check them out and then report back and see whether you should spend your, your time on them because uh, <laughs> Rob's done the legwork. Yeah, I have I have walked through the apocalypse. Okay, so in this case, I've actually caught a plane through it. Into mm. the Night. Into the Night, a television series. Uh, it's a Belgian one, and it's a science fiction show created by Jason George, and they've kind of uh, been inspired by a novel called The Old Axolotl, by Jacek Dukac, and that's a Polish science fiction novel, a long and distinguished lineage of very fine science fiction from that particular nation over the years. And so they've done an adaptation of this for Netflix. 
I think it's actually the first Belgian original series they've done there. So good for them. Nice. Yeah. And it has already been renewed by Netflix for a second season, and there are six episodes in the first one. Okay. Now, we always put a caveat on these second seasons now at the moment because who knows when they will eventuate. So be warned, although it's sort of a – I can tell you that it does kind of end on more or less a kind of a cliffhanger at the end of the first season. Um, You know, be prepared for that because you may never see the second season. All right, into the night. So what we end up with at the very beginning of the first episode, so I'll just set the scene here for you. There's a flight going from Brussels to Moscow. Uh, It's a red-eye flight, so there's not that many people on board. Mm -hmm. And it's hijacked in dramatic circumstances. Well, I guess there'd be no other way to do it, would there, really? (laughs) I suppose you could, like, um, reprogram the Navi computer or something like that, and they would never know they were being hijacked. But still, in this case, they are actually hijacked by an Italian NATO soldier. Okay. Who knows something that the people on board do not know. Now, now to set this up without giving too much away is pretty actually hard. Let's say that the title is descriptive of the story. The plane is then headed off into the west. Just going west. Go west, young man or young plane in this case. (laughs) And everybody on board is forced to go along with them because this Mm -hmm. NATO soldier has a a weapon. Uh, How he gets through airport security and all that, that's just an entirely different tale. You know, let's let's not go there for this one. (laughs) So essentially the thing is that they have to keep going west in this plane for, for reasons that will become obvious during the course of the series. Now, in the case of this show, you would imagine that they would take quite a few pains, not planes, but pains, to set up the characters in it so that you get to know them as they go along. And this is true. (laughs) Oh, okay. Great. (laughs) Pause for dramatic effect. I was like, oh, no. But okay, all right, good. Now, the captain of the plane is actually left on the ground um, so they've got uh, Laurent Capaluto is the co-pilot of the plane who's forced to fly it, played by Matho Daniel Dweck. And there's another pilot on board. She's a former military helicopter pilot, so not rated necessarily for uh, for uh, fixed-wing jet aircraft, but you know that she's going to be pressed into action at some stage. Uh, her okay. name is... Pauline, she's played by Sylvie Brigitte Dubois, and the NATO officer is Stefano, Major Stefano, played by Terencio Matteo Gallo. So it's actually quite a a, a, a multinational cast because they're taking pains to try and make it work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now this could be like the start of um, Airplane or, yeah. you <laughs> a know. Classic. Or flying high, or any of the uh, any of the movies that are about um, uh, mixed up crew who have to and passengers who have to be given a background. So you've got a uh, a Turkish um, smuggler on board, and um, a home care nurse, mm-hmm. a security guard, a mechanic who just happens to be on board the plane for okay. various reasons, a climate scientist. Um, 
And this is the one that made me smile a bit. Um, a Russian woman who's going home with her sick son to uh, so that he can have an operation. So, you know, if I was to say that there was a, a nun on board who plays a guitar and sings, you, you wouldn't be surprised. You wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and there are a sort of uh, a sort of uh, cabin crew, um, stewardesses, mm. and and so on, as well, who are actually quite important in the story. All right, so we're off on this plane, which has to fly west for reasons which we will not closely examine here, because it's kind of fun to find out as you go along. Okay. Yeah. And in a way, it's like Big Brother or something like that. Or, or actually, I'm trying to think. Maybe not Big Brother. Maybe the island. A combination of the two, because as they land along the way, you know that some of these people may not make it back right. In, okay, back into the plane. I actually think this is a terrific idea for a story. Yeah. The premise is sounding really interesting. Like I think, and I mean, if it is indeed, correct me if I'm wrong, a kind of a you know that bottle show effect where we're spending a decent amount of time on the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of those. I love anything plane set. Um, I remember being traumatized by the Langoliers when I was a young child. <laughs> oh, the Stephen King one. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. yeah. Um, and Red Eye is a very underrated uh, thriller with Rachel McAdams. But um, so are we spending a decent amount of time on the plane or is a- it? Um... Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. So you That's do... what I want to hear. It's a very inventive show. And you know me, I love my procedural. Um, mm. You know, what happens if they run out of fuel, if an engine fails, Um where are they going to get food from? You know, there's yeah. all sorts of things that, that come up with this that are intelligently extrapolated upon, and I appreciated that. There is also a bit of schmaltzy uh, melodrama in this. Sure. Uh, as I said, the the mix of the characters there practically guarantees it. A bit of, um, yeah, naff drama going on. But you've got to throw that in to cut the tension a little, I suppose. But Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. Um Interestingly enough, they're able to contact the ground at various stages through the internet, which is kind of fun. So, you know, uh, they, they actually avoid some of the tropes of um, airliner horror movies, which I think is really good. There are no snakes on this plane. There are no zombies. Dang. <laughs> Liam Neeson doesn't roll up to save the day, does he? <laughs> uh, not in, not yet. I've, I've watched the entire first season. Uh, and he does not show up at any stage in this. Um, I'm still interested. But, not, you know. not even in a telephone call. <laughs> I think his his very specific skill set is being used elsewhere at this time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just love the details in this story. Uh, and there's enough teasers in each episode to keep you wondering. And I especially was teased by the end of the f- first season and I really want to see the second season now. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I think they've done very well with this. Um, oh, and um, there's also a, a, an Australian element in this too. <laughs> oh, they're interesting. Not, there always is. They don't actually have to get too many special effects into this story because mm. it's pretty much what you can see from the plane. But when they do have to do it, they do not um, – they don't sort of uh, shy from having to do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually a fun little series. <laughs> 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 what's 
I mean, that's a fair question. You said fun. What's yeah. the tone? Is it is it a very dire, grim thing, or is it kind of a pacey, apocalyptic? Yeah, but you know, interesting. Um, not too heavy. It's as fast paced as uh, the Emmerich Brothers' 2012. Do you remember how fast paced that was? With the I, think uh, I saw that. You haven't seen 2012. Oh, you can't live through an apocalypse without actually. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I got to stress here. You know, we 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 play around with this all the time on Zero G because it's that's what we are. (laughs) What what else can you do at the moment except lean into it and make a couple jokes? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, You know, so uh, this is called Into the Night. It's a Belgian science fiction drama. And it's created by Jason George, and it is on Netflix at the moment, a full season. Uh, and I found I just wanted to see more. <laughs> so, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's I, good. I, I think so. Whether or not the science in it is entirely logical, I can't really say. Um, okay, it would work in the Marvel universe <laughs> <laughs> if they can pull it off, and the premise, like that they're building, is good enough to keep each episode interesting and moving. I'm kind of fine if some of the elements are a little off of the science of it, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm more lenient with that stuff than you are, I guess. But yeah. All right, now uh, for a track here because we've been um, <laughs> tributizing uh, the late great Ennio Morricone. I thought we'd give a track here from the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's called The Sundown, so hence Into the Night. This is George Romero, and I wouldn't be caught dead listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Yeah, Into the Night was the inspiration for playing that track, which was The Sundown from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, Ennio Morricone there, the controls of that particular horse. I have a question that I didn't even think to ask. Is Into the Night, you said it's Belgium, Belgian. Um, is it in English or what's the, are we subtitles, what's the go? Do you know? That's a bloody good question. Um, I think it's in English. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a fair question, and I should have a better response to it than that. But I watch so many subtitled series, I actually forget sometimes. And they do. Netflix does often do. They'll have um, you know, the original audio. So maybe there's original audio, and then they do a dub in English. Yeah, and then just release that. A lot of like Cable Girls and all that. That's all dubbed, and I think some of the German like Dark. That's all dubbed. Um, so possibly it's that. I was just intrigued. Like I'm no stranger to subtitles. I was just curious as to whether they would have filmed what was the original filming. Anyway, not important. Just curious. Yeah, <laughs> I'm appalled that I don't know that answer. <laughs> Hey. You're consuming a lot of content. I yeah. think that's okay. <laughs> and content to do so, even when it's post-apocalyptic. Um, <laughs> actually, did you just mention um, Cable Girls there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, have you watched that? No, I'm interested though. I think because it popped up on my uh, Netflix because I think the first season was a couple of years ago now and I kind of put it on my list and then I just never got to it. But I've I've heard of good things it's actually. actually um, I'm, I'm, memory serves me uh, 
possibly um, South American series? Yeah, I think it was originally in Spanish and then um, I think because it was the early days of the international Netflix originals, people didn't really realise it was a dub and so it's like, oh, the mouth, it doesn't quite match up. Like this is a bit weird and it's like, oh, it's because it was originally in Spanish. Mm. Um, So, I mean, that's one of the shows that I'm always vowing to go back to and check out. Same with Dark, the other one that I mentioned. Yeah, I've watched Um, a couple of episodes of um, Cable Girls. I quite, quite liked it at the time. Uh, it's a historical one. There's no apocalypse in it. <laughs> it says disappointed. We like historical as well, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, uh, probably, I, I guess this was probably the feature, um, the feature uh, disaster series that we're talking about today. Japan sinks 2020. Mm. Mm. Yes. Shall we dig in? Uh, so no, this is no, another. No, no, no. There's no point in digging in in this one. <laughs> Boats are what you need for this one. <laughs> exactly. Hide under the table and then and then hit the hit the water. Yeah. So Japan sinks twenty twenty. So this is another Netflix original series. So it's available to stream on Netflix. It's actually based on. I mean, interested to hear if you've actually read this novel. Um, it's based on a Japanese novel by Sakyo Komatsu, which came out in 1973, and it's a science fiction bestseller in Japan and uh, sort of considered a very culturally relevant political novel of its time, you know, that typical looking at society through the lens of sci-fi and sort of became part of this canon of disaster future apocalypse scenarios that um, were popularised, you know, similar ilk to your kaiju, Godzilla stuff and, you know, those very future future-looking, what would apocalyptic Tokyo, apocalyptic Japan look like kind of thing. There is an English translation that was published in the mid-'90s. Uh, have you read that or across that book at all, Rob? Or? Oh, sadly, no. I, I have read quite a few books about, um, you know, the big earthquake in Japan or or a, a mega, mega tsunami and so on, but I've kind of steered clear of them lately in the, uh, in the wake of the real-life horror story that they had there. Um, yeah. Which is interesting enough, if I may use that term, about such a terrible tragedy in terms of just reading the history yeah. about that. So there's, I haven't felt a need to revisit the fiction there. There was actually also a sequel to this book in 2006 and I think there's talks about more. So very interesting there. It was actually adapted into another Japanese movie called Tidal Wave, and that was in the 70s as well. Oh. Uh, great poster, if you if you look that one up. Brilliant Japanese poster. But this uh, iteration per se is a Netflix original anime series, so it is an animated um, TV show and it's from the animation studio Science Saru, and it was released in July this year. So it's very current, very of the minute. And so it was directed by Masaki Yuasa. Now he's an interesting character. I sort of dug into his canon a little and I'm intrigued by some of the things he's done. He did another series for Netflix called Devilman Crybaby. And it's about a essentially a, a demon with a soul. And from all accounts, it's quite dark and graphic. It's kind of a very graphic take on uh, a manga called Devilman which I think is much more tame, the actual manga. And then this series actually is this very dark version of it, which I think was met with some mixed response. So I thought it was kind of interesting. I'm very intrigued by sort of boundary pushing uh, anime and, think, you know, doing something a bit different. He's also done things like he did an episode of Adventure Time. He did uh, an episode of Space Dandy, which is another Japanese space opera. 
anime and so but he largely does things through this studio science saru so the music for japan sinks 2020 was done by kensuke ushio he also did the music for devil man crybaby as well and there are 10 episodes of the series and they're all available now on netflix for you to check out so the premise of this one, uh, and it really, it doesn't wait or pull any punches about getting right to the central crisis, I suppose you'd call it. So it's ostensibly about a family and they're struggling to survive after a series of earthquakes that destroy Japan. So it's this sort of big event and it's, it's a rolling event where these sort of disasters keep happening. And it's a bit about how the people are responding to it and what that would look like and then centered around this one family, the Muto family. So we've got our daughter who you probably would say maybe is the main protagonist mostly Yeah. Uh, and her name is Ayumu and then the rest of her family, she has a brother, a young brother called Go and her two parents, Mari and Koichiro. So straight away we get thrown into the story and then we sort of have to grow and understand and connect with these characters amidst this apocalyptic series of events. But it is sort of set up straight away that they do have this very strong bond. And I'm hoping I've not finished it because I'll get to that in a minute, but I'm hoping it will serve them as they sort of head on their survival journey. So before I get into my thoughts, I know you've actually finished this one, Rob. What was sort of your takeaway? And I, I know we don't want to ruin too much of it for you guys, but yeah. Well, it's pretty much in the title what happens, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, not have, having having 2020 hindsight, yeah, mm. yeah you like that? A <laughs> <laughs> little eyesight joke, I like that. Yeah, I've actually, I have actually seen um, The Sinking of Japan. Ah. ah, which is uh, the motion picture version of this from uh, some time back in the past mm-hmm. with um, a slightly different take on it, but essentially the same thing all thrown into the into the mix in the same era. And, and the actual movie, the live-action movie, is more in the vein of uh, 2012, as we were saying, or um, San Andreas with The Rock. Mm. Or uh, even the um, the Korean, the South Korean disaster movie, uh, Hyundai, which I know is not actually a car <laughs> in this case. <laughs> so yeah, so the the, the move the live action movie was more like that. Now this one, the anime, it's much more thoughtful. Uh, a lot of weird stuff happens in it after you get through the first uh, four or five episodes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, there's some odd little sidetracks in it that make sense in context. And I noticed you were drilling down onto the um, the political, uh, the socio-political uh, mm. commentary that the original novels had. It's here in spades in yeah. the anime. Um, quite often in, um, in Japanese uh, disaster movies, uh, you mentioned um, Keiju ones before, uh, God, the, some of the recent Godzilla ones, Shin Godzilla, for example. Mm. They often um, spend a lot of time with politicians. Yes, the bureaucracy piece mm. and how that will play an effect because of just sort of the different cogs of that society. Yeah. And that I thought was a really good lens in Shin Godzilla as well. So there's a bit of that in here too. Yeah, but not so much with the politicians in this one because, as you said, they, they step out quite quickly into this. Mm. Uh, but there are similar sorts of, um, of, of riffs being played. Um, uh, one of the tropes is uh, a kind of a cult-like group, which is um, – which has been on the uh, the consciousness of 
that nation for some time since those awful mm. uh, sarin gas attacks. Yeah. So that, that that sort of blends in at one stage. Um, look, this is not an, this is not a particular. This is not necessarily a, a, a Japanese trope, because of course lots of um, disaster movies start with. I mean, all over the world, disaster movies start with a scientist in the room being ignored, uh, politicians doing their own thing and lying yeah. to the public. You know, it's not yeah. unusual there. And and yeah, okay, this is based around one particular family. I actually feel like if if Miyazaki had done a film like this, this would be something like it would end up. Yeah. I mean, I think there were some elements for it, and I'm not that far in yet. Um, I actually thought that someone like Miyazaki, like a Miyazaki film or there might have been more nuance to it. I don't know. I felt I, I wasn't quite sure about it from the first few that I saw actually, even though it is quite gripping straight away. I wonder about um, sort of its central message and how it's going to keep that going. I don't know. Yeah, I, I probably need to dig in a bit more. Yeah, you will find it becoming more nuanced as they go along uh, and some surprising surprising things happen along the way. Well, you know, given what's the, what the occasion of these people getting together involved. Um, I think. Did you know that there was a, there's a parody short story about this too <laughs> called The, I was like, the World Sinks Except Japan? <laughs> I saw that and I was like, what? what? Very weird. I mean, I'm, in, I'm intrigued, but uh, <laughs> I think, and that that's, I thought, I mean, as soon as I started watching it, I was like, oh, okay, all right, I can see we're going to, because even when um sort of it does the auto episode, it pops up with the little messages, like the rating messages, and I saw that it said, oh, you know, strong drug use, blood and gore and sex scenes, and I was like, oh, okay, we're going down this path, I see. It is actually, an, I feel like it is an adult um an adult uh, orientated uh, movie, uh, sorry, a television series, and um, that's not unusual for some some anime. Uh, mm. I, I think that I don't think that they go over the edge in this for any particular reason, apart from the fact that the that, that that's what it's called for in the plot. Exactly, so. it's apocalypse. It's a survival story. You've got to have some stakes thrown in there, uh, not the good kind of stakes, <laughs> the bad kind of stakes. Yeah. Um, and some tragedy and things, but I can I can just see it's going to get more more and more grim. It's bleak, and then I can just see see that grim path. And I'm just not sure if I'm I'm there for it yet. And in, in this moment, but yeah, I I looked in my notes for the last episode without getting giving anything away. Um, and there's a well, you know, there's a kind of an extended coda that runs through the last of the episodes. And I think anyone who makes it through this movie, and I include the, sorry, the television series, anyone who makes it through this television series, and I include the audience, kind of deserves the coda at the end. Okay, all right, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I look, mean. There's a lot of stuff in here that's um, mm. that's quite um, uh, contemporarily relevant. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, some racism against non-Japanese people. Um, uh, there's there's dealing with an entire problem of um, the Japanese population becoming refugees, essentially, and some issues that uh, work around that. And there's an entire episode where they they spend it in a an almost um, calm magical interlude, which I thought was um, was quite fascinating. Uh, and the visuals are stunning in this too. 
they've always got something strange going on or um, or just interesting, well beyond what you would have thought would have been the meat and potatoes for a, a, an earthquake, volcanic sort of um, tsunami situation. So I give them I give them cred points for that too. Um, yeah, I, I I can't say I enjoyed it, but I was quite fascinated mm. by this one. I think it it definitely I can tell it has some things to say. I think it would be interested. I think it's like a good it's like a good curry. It needs some time to boil and it needs some time to kind of, you know, find itself. I think the early cuz I'm quite early still. Um and I think as well I just I can see it it's going to be bleak. Um but in- and like you say it's yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I <laughs> want to go on that journey to be honest. Even if it's done really well, yeah, and and you're right, there are some good, there is even just some good small scenes or throwaway lines or um, just little moments, and I think that's what I'm hoping. There's enough of that, mm. those nice little tidbits to cut through the dark parts. There's a lot of survival procedure in this one, as as usual. Um, there's a nice little bit where they make a compass from a pin. And they use um, they use a road flare to heat the uh, the pin up, so to magnetise it, and then they float it on on a piece of card in a in a bowl. Uh, and that, wow! Because that's how you make you know you can make a compass that way. Yeah, and um, I, I wouldn't quote me on that. <laughs> I double. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in God. your survival story, don't think back to this episode and necessarily take it for fact. But Rob said. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will, he said it would work. Well, I will. Ver- I will verify that um, you can open um, cans of food if you don't have a can opener. It doesn't have a ring pull on it by rubbing the uh, the can on a rock and um, and wearing away the seal, abrading oh. the seal. Yeah, yeah. That that's an old. Um, uh, where did I learn that? The Russian Spets um, special forces guys um, taught me that in a YouTube video. <laughs> Wow! I, no, that's a very good tip. It I is, mean, also if you beats hell go, like bashing it on the concrete or something, you know. Absolutely, um, you can also open wine by putting it inside a shoe and banging it on the wall. But it's not quite the same thing. Neither one of these things you should do in a zombie apocalypse because it makes too much noise. Exactly, or one of those a quiet place apocalypses or whatever. Yeah, so not not that particular one in this case. So let's have some music. You were telling me that mm. the uh, the music was done by yes, uh, by a fellow called Kensuke Ushio. So he did the score for this, and it seems like he uh, sort of collaborates with Yuasa quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So what track shall we play from this one? Uh, well, it, we've got two short tracks. So let's go to Attack of Legends theme. And this is from Japan Sinks 2020 and not from The Sinking of Japan, which is an earlier movie version of this. Hi, this is Fraser Hines. I played Joe in Emmerdale Farm. You're listening to 3 Triple R FM. Och, I also played we Jamie McCremen and Doctor Who. I, uh, uh, my giddy aunt. Yeah, yes, well, <clears throat> Jamie, do try and keep up in the future and uh, in the past as well. Hmm. Uh, yes, that was Attack of Legends theme from uh, Japan Sinks 2020, the anime series that we're looking at, Netflix original, Apocalypse of the Watery Kind. And, yeah, I mean, it kind of gets you a sen- gives you a sense of uh, <laughs> the scope of what we're talking about here. Yes, it's all, it's all based upon a, a, a novel where um, the Japan, Jap- oh. 
It's all based upon a novel novel where the Japanese up archipelago. <laughs> That's a tough word to say <laughs> when you've got when you've essentially got COVID brain, which is affecting many of us. But not everybody has to broadcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's all right. We for, we forgive it this time. Uh, uh, uneasy lies the head that wears the corona. Okay, so uh, Japan sinks twenty twenty. Uh, it's it's got a lot of moments in it that I really thought were quite unique to this particular production. Um, there is a lot of imagery that uh, recalls, as in many Japanese disaster movies, that uh, recall the the conditions in Japan during World War Two. Uh, they they often try and reflect those uh, firestorms. Um, which recall the incendiary raids on Japanese cities, uh, evacuation sites that get hit by those firestorms. Um, and some of this is actually because there's a feeling of a, a multimedia sort of disaster. Some of you, some of these stuff you see on the internet uh, and being blogged and so on, and there's a reason and there's an integral reason in the story for that too. Mm. Uh, and they do have some nods and winks to the source material at one stage somebody said it's not like that old novel oh a little <laughs> wink wink i like that i yeah. like that and it, if you have been tracking this since the novel and through the television uh, through the the movie and the other movie and mm. uh, and now this television series the progression of uh, characters who they focus upon it's very interesting they like pick different ones each time um, the seismologist is still present in this story. The uh, the scientist who is ignored, the proverbial man in the room who knows what's going on, um, but he's actually got this really strange path throughout this story. Uh, quite unbelievable in cases, but you know it is an anime, so you can do things that you would not do in in real life. Well, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I just enjoyed the. Um, the, the the stubborn stalwart journey that these characters go on and yeah. the the inventiveness with which they handle themselves too not always rewarded with success but there you go it is an adult one so uh, mm. you might want to uh, make sure that you don't just hand this as an anime over to the kids because yeah. you have to be careful sometimes so yeah, just be absolutely. be aware of that all right, so there are some interesting tricks in this in terms of uh, the way it's staged that I've very much appreciated. Um, for some reason, that only becomes apparent later in the series. They cut to some video game footage. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's a bit experimental. Okay. It, it okay. was. And I, I thought, why are, we do, why are we doing this? And I got to the end and I went, ah. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of um, – uh, backwards and forwardsing in terms of uh, being referencing things that happened before and during and so on. So yeah, I, I think this is a very worthwhile series. Japan sinks twenty twenty. Won't cheer you up a whole lot. No. Yeah. So go in knowing that I guess that it's it's going to be a grim track, but um, yeah, if it's worthwhile, I think then yeah. So I'm you, glad these things are being done. In my head. In my two heads, I am in two minds <laughs> about <laughs> about this kind, watching this kind of thing during our current unpleasantness. Um, mm. I think this is, you know, like in in, in grief counselling, they often talk about um, acknowledging the grief. Sometimes I feel that 
it's good to do that. On the other hand, wallowing in these things is probably not so great either. I, I guess that's a thing. It's a person to person, like, and it's also day to day. Like some days I'm sort of, you know, ready to tackle something like this or feeling interested in, in it and engaging with it. And other days I just want to rewatch Legally Blonde, you know, like, <laughs> like an, or an old couple of episodes of Buffy or something where, you know, the good guy ostensibly wins at least at the end of that episode. Um, so it's a mood based thing. And I think everybody should just be doing what they feel is going to give them some comfort or keep them engaged in this time and it'll be different. Do you know, here's a, a guilty zero-G secret, but the shows Ooh. that I watch for that. Okay. Okay. American Pickers. <laughs> really? Really. And uh, this one will floor you, Escape to the Country. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, very good choice, though. Very yeah. comforting. Oh, and also for a shorter take, um, the one that you introduced me to, uh, John Favreau's Chef. Mm. Oh. We've been actually, you, I'm happy you mentioned that. We've been watching a couple of those sort of as we eat dinner because they're just such a good mood, such a good vibe. He loves food so much and there's a lot, usually a lot of fun like directors and actors popping up and definitely recommend yeah. that one. I think we've mentioned it a couple of times that that's a good comfort watch. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's have another track from Japan Sinks 2020. Uh, and this is... Um, a track called, and they did deserve this so much in the movie, Short short Break. This is Rob Sherman, and you're listening to Zero G. Triple R. Hmm, hmm short break. <laughs> nice little piece of music, very yeah. lo-fi, I liked it. Yeah, a little few, uh, infused with um, some sound effects there of the that, that give you the contrast between the gentleness of water sometimes when it's not in an mm. apocalyptic mode like in Japan Sings 2020, which is on Netflix and which we have just discussed. All right, so from what have we been been involved in today? We've uh, we've had uh, something strange happening to an airliner to where you get to fly above all of the apocalypse, or do you? And we've th- then uh, gone swimming in the waters above a sodden Japan. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to an old favourite, mm. War of the Worlds, 2019 TV series. And this is on SBS On Demand in Australia, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, produced by Fox Networks Group and Studio Canal-backed urban myth film. So it's an essentially an Anglo-French production, and it's created and written by uh, Howard Overman. Now, that name will be familiar to you because he was one of the co-creators of Misfits, the the British um, science fiction uh, superhero television series, and he also worked on Dirk Gently, so it was the uh, Douglas Adams sort of um, adaptation, and Future Man, which is on Hulu, as well as Atlantis and not Stargate Atlantis, just Atlantis, and uh, other credits, which include Hustle and Merlin, and amongst other things. Interesting. All right. So he's coming at it with a decent amount of chops mm. um, entering the world of War of the Worlds. So, of course, you know, H.G. Wells' novel from 1898 been adapted so many times now into, into yep. major motion pictures, animated movies, stage musicals, sorry, arena 
musicals. Um, and this is the third television adaptation of it. Uh, there may be some other ones, actually. My memory, um, if memory serves me, there was an American one. There was that ITV one we, we um, kicked the pants out of. <laughs> <laughs> Strange metaphor. Where did that come from? Possibly from my COVID brain because I yeah. that's right. I almost went, walked out of the house um, to go to work the other day without any trousers on. <laughs> the, the, did you have your mask on? I did have my mask on. <laughs> You were too focused. I was too focused on the other procedure, and I felt a draft, and I thought, well, okay. (laughs) Okay, this is the one that people are saying, ah, this is the one that's got Gabrielle Byrne in it, Mm. and it has. (laughs) So it is a completely new look at War of the Worlds. You've got an invasion, may or may not be from Mars, Probably not because they actually mentioned that's from another star, which is a, a very um, uh, retro-fitting reboot take that's appeared in other incarnations of War of the Worlds where they realise, well, we know too much about Mars. It's Now it's not unlikely that they come from there. We need to be a bit more adventurous with where our, our Martians are coming from. Briefly for a time it was popular to have Mars as a staging post for an ah. interstellar invasion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm not going to spoil some of the details for you, uh, but suffice to say that I think it's a really good inventive idea that they've uh, practiced in this. Uh, it's also a low-budget one too. Oh. <laughs> so Interesting. Think, think, good for you. You've managed to uh, make this a little bit more cheaply. <laughs> you know, this is <laughs> – they weren't sure if it was going to fly, so they were like, we're just going to allocate this little tidy packet of money, and if it goes, it goes. We'll give most of the money to Gabrielle Byrne, yep. and then the rest goes to everyone else and the set. Now, he is a, a professor in this one, and he's some kind of neurologist, and he figures out some early details quite um, quite early on in the plot that uh, enables you him to survive the initial attack. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and and once again you've got this you've got this uh, parcel of survivors that we put together. There's not just um, the uh, the Wellsian trope of looking for his wife, which does actually occur in this. It's not just that. Uh, there's not the uh, the artilleryman or the parson or any of the other things in this. Other other sorts of uh, tropes run through here. An astronomer who originally detects the alien signals. Um, uh, a blind girl who can hear the signals and experience them in different ways, um, an asylum seeker who just happens to get caught up in the middle of all of this, which is a good trope to put mm. into this because they all become refugees in the uh, in the in the crew that get together uh, variously in various places because it is an Anglo-French production. So you've got one group of survivors in France and another group in London. Um, I thought I really liked the idea in this, just just as I, I loved the uh, Into the Night concept. The one in this I yeah. thought was excellently uh, thought out. Okay. Um, you know, it's funny with, he says, not exactly funny, ha-ha, <laughs> but um, in these sort of post-apocalyptic things, there are ways that you can do do this, you know. With certain types of um, of uh, incidents, you can just scatter actors and mannequins around Mispark mm. cars with doors open, overturn mm. some bins and spill some rubbish. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, 
in a in a Japanese horror movie, it's often enough just to put some rubbish in the house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh my god, an op- an open cupboard door that should be closed. Yes. So, and maybe maybe the odd flame gas fed flame bar sitting around the place mm, to give a flickering yeah. effect. Again, not plague based at all. Um, mm. And the difference between this and 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 the, and the uh, not we're not living from an apocalypse, although it does seem that way sometimes. But you know, there are no takeaway food delivery gig workers inheriting the streets in the War of the Worlds. Um, you know, it, it's still locked into that mode where the fetish or totem that everyone has is guns that they find, even in London. Um, in our world, it's masks. You know, so and social distancing. It has hardly ever been used in any of these movies that don't involve plagues, you know. So, But the trope in this that I have noticed has carried over so much to real life uh, because I'm still travelling around in lockdown Melbourne legally, quite legitimately, um, the quiet, the silence. And when that silence is broken by the uh, arrival of the Martian fighting machines, We'll call them Martian fighting machines, the MFMs in this. Mm-hmm. That that sound is quite chilling because it, it's got mm. no backdrop to it but silence. Yeah, so quite effective. If I had to pick a problem with this show, there's two things. One, they could have made the Martian fighting machines. Um, they could have made them tripods. I would mm-hmm. have liked to have seen that just as a nod to the original novel. Yeah. And there's a, an unnecessary plot complication with one of the uh, French characters, um, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, an incestuous brother, that I just thought, why, why are you doing this? What is what is this to the plot? Maybe, maybe we'll, more will be revealed because this is dropping on SBS uh, one episode per week, so I haven't finished it yet. Right, right, right. How many episodes in are you? I think I'm about six. Okay, so you're nearing, I think, from the looks of it, it's, what, ten episodes? Yeah. Eight episodes. Yeah. So, okay. This is one of those shows where you will, um, and again, this is my my experience during the pandemic has – has changed my ideas about some things. They do they do some silly things in this, the characters. You know what? Given some of the silly things I've been doing, <laughs> I sort of write them a pass yeah. on, on that. So I'm beginning, beginning to rethink things like that. The soldiers in this certainly uh, try and do the right thing, um, but there's a, a group of French um, soldiers in it. But, um, you know, I just sort of think <sighs> – you can't explain what you're going to do in these things until you live through them. And it's exactly the same as you're at home watching a game show on TV and you can screen the answers and you know it and it's easy. But if you were on that game show, you'd be terrible. You wouldn't know what you're doing, nerves, all that. I think it's the apocalyptic version of that. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think uh, Gabrielle Byrne sort of smolderingly walks through this uh, carrying his own burden of angst from a, a, oh. a broken marriage, and you know, like all angsty that sort of professor stuff. is what yeah. he does well. <laughs> it does. It's like he was born to play that role. Exactly. Um, and there's some terribly sad stuff in this. So maybe, again, maybe not if you if you don't uh, want to lean into that. Uh, mm. Maybe not go there. It is. It's quite graphic in places. Um, and but but I, I felt like they did actually earn their stripes through the first six or so episodes. I'm going to want some answers soon, though, to some of the questions raised. 
Otherwise, I'm going to be thinking, oh, you know, you're just hanging this over me too much. Yeah. So I want to see some more answers materialising now. So it's War of the Worlds. It's uh, an Anglo-French production. It's on SBS and also on um, SBS On Demand, obviously. So you can catch up with all six episodes if you want now, if you can stand to do that (laughs) in one bunch. Uh, And, yeah, um, a pretty decent adaptation of War of the Worlds, which is quite creepy, very, very creepy in places and scary as well. Uh, And also entirely reminiscent of Black Mirror in a lot of places. Ooh, (laughs) all right. And you will know why once you see it if you watch it. Interested. Yeah. Uh, Look, it's not set in the period of uh, of turn-of-the-century London, and thank Thank Queen Victoria for that, you know, cause of, or King Edward or whatever. I'm just, uh, I'm over that, the, 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 the botched attempts to do that. I'm tired of that. Let's move on with the thing. This is a war of the worlds for our time. Love it. And that's about it for Zero G today. It is. It is. Uh, and we will go out with a track from uh, Labyrinth, which is to say a, um, a cover version of David Bowie's When the World Falls Down. And this is uh, from an EP, and the artiste here is called Carleen. So next time we talk, we'll be doing the Zero-G Radiothon episode. Yes, yes, very exciting time of year. We'll try and think of something suitable to give away on the show then. Mm. I can't guarantee it'll be entirely tasteful, but, (laughs) you know, notionally give away, I should say. So, yeah, see you for the Radiothorn episode. Thank you, Kayla, our podcaster. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thanks to Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.